Hey, it's me, Annie. And this is my Christmas podcast, or maybe it's one of my Christmas podcasts, because anyone that knows me knows how much I love Christmas. And my love for Christmas goes really far back, as far back as I can remember. My father loved Christmas, too, and he always bought a huge tree into the house, one that would scrape the ceiling. That's what he would look for, something that was almost impossible to get into the elevator up to our apartment. And it graced the living room. And right next to it was a fireplace. And so we would have that iconic moment where the tree was up and the ornaments were set onto the branches and all the lights were lit and there was a fire in the fireplace and you could just lie on the rug and see all of Christmas magic all in one space. It was the best. The smell of the wood in the fireplace and the crackling of the logs and the twinkling of the lights and the smell of the tree and all those wonderful things that you read about in books, but very few of us have ever experienced them. Well, that was my childhood Christmas, and it was magic every moment. I remember at one point coming down the stairs and peeking around to see if the tree was lit. And I promise you this is true. I saw the edge of Santa's coat and Santa's pants and a little bit of one of Santa's boots. And I immediately scampered back upstairs because I had been told that if you spy on Santa when he's putting out the presents, he may just disappear back up the chimney and you may not get any gifts that year. Now to this day, I don't know why I was able to see Santa in the living room or what he was doing there, but I can promise you I have that memory of that little bit of fur at the edge of his coat and that little bit of red pant that he was wearing and that little bit of his boot. I really saw it. I was raised by many people when I was a child. The first woman to come to raise me was a woman named Anna, and she was German, and she only allowed me to speak German in the house, so I only spoke German. Eventually, this wore on my parents, and she got fired, and I was told that a tree fell on her house, and I totally believed that, but at the same time, I didn't really, because she never said goodbye, and... I kept on replaying the image of a tree falling on a person's house in Germany and thinking, but why would she leave being here in New York to go back to Germany having a tree falling on her house? Where would she live? Something didn't make any sense. Eventually, when I was older, my mother told me that they made that up so that my feelings wouldn't be hurt when she was fired. But it never made sense to me. So you guys out there that have kids, tell your kids the truth. They sort of know when you're not. And I sort of knew that it wasn't the truth when my parents told me that. Anna raised me from the time I was a few months old until I was three. And then my care was given over to a woman named Florence Walker. Now Florence Walker was an amazing, amazing person. She was very small, and she had 
incredibly beautiful skin, the color of very dark mahogany, and very thick glasses, and she was wiry and strong, a very, very strong woman. And she would just look at you, and you would know if you were doing right or wrong. She was also the first person to teach me that sometimes adults were doing wrong. Because if somebody was saying something that wasn't good, or if somebody was behaving in a certain way that wasn't great, and I'm talking about the adults in my home when I say that, she would get this look in her eyes, and she would look up over her thick glasses, and she would look at me, and what would be transmitted through her eyes was, these people aren't doing the right thing. Don't believe these people. I don't believe that they're acting like this. I can't take this. This is awful. All of that would be transmitted to me. And I would nod to her. And I would be happy that she was confirming that sometimes adults didn't behave right. It was a very important lesson. But she didn't take any bad behavior. And she was very strict with me, but I enjoyed that. Because I like to always do right. And she always let me know what was right. Florence Walker was incredible. Florence Walker was my champion. After Florence Walker left, the next person to care for me was a woman named Lessie Apple. Lessie Apple was over six feet tall. Lessie Apple came to take care of me when she was in her early 20s. And as I said, I was around eight. And she was my immediate friend and co-conspirator. She was always fun. We always had fun. I could always make her giggle, and she could always make me giggle, and sometimes that got us into trouble. She would sleep in my room sometimes because there were two beds there, and on the nights that we had sleepovers, it was all we could do not to laugh all night long, and we'd make ourselves giggle, and one of our favorite jokes was that I had this incredible cat named Harry, who was a Siamese, and he would come wandering into the room sometimes, and either Leslie or I would call over to him and say, Harry, please, could you go downstairs and bring us a glass of water? That would keep us laughing for about an hour and a half, because we would both have in our minds the image of Harry on his hind legs going down the stairs, picking up a tray, and coming up with two glasses of water on a tray perched on his hind legs. Hysterical. We'd laugh forever. And invariably, my mother would come into the room and shush us and tell us that she didn't know who was worse than the other and that we had to be quiet and we had to go to sleep. And we would pretend to do that and we would muffle our laughter with our pillows. And then as soon as she left and closed the door, we would immediately erupt in laughter again. Me and Lassie. She was my pal. She was awesome. So she stayed with me and helped raise me until I was about 14 or 15 years old. Now, at that time, my uh, grandmother had come to live in the house and she needed care and she needed people to take care of her as well. And my mom couldn't necessarily afford to pay Lessie, and so she 
um, worked it out with my sister Carolyn, who was then living in Brooklyn, for Leslie to go and help her in her home raise her kids. And I used to go and visit Leslie at my sister's house. So we still stayed in touch. We still got a chance to spend some time together and fool around. Segway to, I guess, not that long after we moved into our house here, um, where we live now in Brooklyn, my daughter Molly and I both had the flu. And one of the things as a homeopath that I knew how to do was I knew how to treat the flu homeopathically pretty easily and also make it so that even though you needed to stay home and drink lots of stuff and eat soup and do all the things that you need to do to get better, you also wouldn't feel so, so bad because when you start treating yourself homeopathically, you don't feel so, so bad. So me and Molly were home and... We wanted to watch something on TV. We wanted to entertain ourselves. And so one of my favorites from my childhood was to watch Shirley Temple movies. Molly was looking through the TV schedule, and she said, Oh, my goodness, there's one I've never seen. There's a little princess. At which point I said, Oh, um, I don't know if I can really watch that one. And she said, What are you talking about? And I said, well, I I really don't know if I could watch that one. I I think it would be pretty sad for me. And she said, why would it be pretty sad for you? I said, I don't know. I just, I don't think so. I don't think it would be fun. And she said, Mom, she said, we have a remote control. If we start to watch it and you don't feel happy about what you're seeing, we can actually turn it off. And I said, yeah, but I don't know because... It would sort of be a little sad. And and she said, Mom, come on. She said, let's start watching it. And let's see what it's like for you. And I promise you, if you start feeling sad watching it, I will turn it off. And I said, okay, deal. So we start watching it. And sure enough, we get to a certain point, And I start crying uncontrollably. And she, she stops it. And she says, okay, what is this now? And I said, well, it's it's the part when when she gets left at the place and the woman is going to take care of her. And then as soon as everybody leaves and they leave her there, then the woman turns around and you can see that the woman has a mean face on and you know that she's going to get into trouble. And, and Molly said, but wait a second. She said, why is that affecting you so much? She said, I know that the people that cared for you when you were young were really sweet people, and they were always really nice to you, and you didn't have any mean people that raised you. So why does that make you feel so bad? And I said, I don't know. I, I, think, it's, I think it's because uh, I'm, I'm not really sure whether, whether they really loved me. She said, who are you talking about? She said, several people raised you. Who are you talking about? Are you talking about Anna, the German lady? I said, no, no, I'm not talking about her. She said, are you talking about Florence, the lady that you told me about? 
she seemed like she really loved me. I said, no, no, Florence really loved me. I know that Florence really loved me. She said, well, who are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about Lessie. I'm talking about Lessie. Lessie used to tell me that she loved me, but she was being paid to take care of me. And maybe she only told me that she loved me because she was being paid to take care of me. And Molly said, where is Lessie? And I said, well, I haven't seen her since I was like, I don't know, 20, something like that. And she said, but, but where is she? I said, I don't know. She said, where, where did she go to when she would leave work? Where did she go to? And I said, well, I'm not sure. She said, did she take a bus? I said, no, I don't think she lived in the city. She said, well, she took a train then. I said, yeah, I think she took a train. I'm pretty sure she took a train. She said, well, did she go uptown on the train or did she go downtown on the train? I said, well, I don't know. I think think maybe she went to Brooklyn. I don't know. It seems to be stuck in my head that maybe she lived in Brooklyn. At which point Molly turned to me and said, you know what? She said, we have such a thing called a telephone book. And we can actually look up her name in the telephone book. And she has an unusual name. Lessie Apple is an unusual name. If she's in the telephone book, there can't be many Lessie Apples in the telephone book. I said, yeah, but I don't know. She said, Ma. She said, look, you know what Oprah does on the Oprah show. Oprah finds people for other people all the time. And it's not that hard. People get reunited on Oprah all the time. It doesn't take long. Let's start. Let's at least look in the telephone book and see if Leslie's in the telephone book. So I said, okay. And I'm, I'm getting a little nervous, but we do it. And sure enough, there's an L apple in Brooklyn. And I said, so you're going to call now, right? I said, oh, I don't know, because what if she never really loved me? What if she only said she... And Molly said, stop. Just make the call. Just call. So I summoned up all my courage, and I called. And there was a man that answered. And I said, hello, and he said, hello. And I said, is there a woman named Lessie Apple at this phone number? And he said, yes, of course, Lessie, yes. He said, uh, she just went out to the doctor. Um, she has the flu, and she wanted to see the doctor. She had the flu at the same time me and Molly had the flu. How amazing is that? So I said, wow. I said, well, when would she be home? He said, oh, she'll be home pretty soon. Who shall I say is calling? So I said, okay, um, just tell her uh, Annie Fox called. And he said, I, I sure will. Thank you very much. And we hung up. And I sat there and Molly said, What happened? What happened? What happened? And I told her. And we turned the movie back on again. And we started watching the movie for a little while. And not too long after that, the phone rang. And I picked it up. And I said, Hello. And it was Leslie. I heard her voice on the other end. And she said, Annie? And I said, yes. I said, Lessie? She said, Annie, my darling, 
Annie, my darling, I have been praying for this moment. I have been praying for the moment to be able to speak to you. Every time I walk in the street, I look to see if you're walking towards me. Every time I get on the train, I look and I see if you're on the train with me. Every time I get on a bus, I look on the bus to see if you're getting on the bus. She said, I've been looking for you for years and years. She said, my darling. She said, I love you so much. I love you so much. You've always been like my daughter to me. She said, and now I know that God is real because God's reunited us. So I said, Lissy, where do you live? I got to see you. I love you so much. Where are you? She said, well, I live in Brooklyn. I said, where in Brooklyn? It turns out that she lived 20 minutes away from me. I said, Lissy, please, I got to come and see you. She said, well, let's make a plan. And we made a plan. And John, my husband, drove me over, and we went to see her in her house. And her house was in a project in East New York in Brooklyn. Now, anybody that knows Brooklyn knows that East New York is not a wonderful area. It was very dark when we drove over there, and it was very... It was a very harsh place. And we got up to her building, and she told us that she would come down and wait for us. And that's what she did. She came down and she waited for us in the lobby to take me up. And John waited in the car, and I saw her, and my heart just melted. And we put our arms around each other, and we hugged, and we hugged, and we hugged, and we hugged as though we would never let go of each other for the rest of our lives. And we looked at each other and we hugged and cried and hugged and cried and kissed each other on the cheek and hugged and cried. And it was the most wonderful moment to be reunited with Leslie. We were reunited. It was magic. And it was, it was just after Thanksgiving, as I remember it, on our way to Christmas. And she took me up to her apartment. And her apartment was amazing. Her apartment was exactly how I would have thought she lived. It was sweet and clean and kind, and everything she had in it was magic. And she showed me over to a coffee table that she had in her living room, and she said, look. And all the things on her coffee table were little gifts that I had given her when I was a child. I had been to Africa to visit my sister, and I brought back these little wooden animals, and she had them all displayed, and she had other gifts and trinkets that I had given her, and they were all part of a little display that she had on that table. And it was so amazing to see it. And I just kept hugging her and kissing her and hugging her, and she came back to our house, and I made her some soup, and Molly helped me, and she met her, she called them her grandchildren. She met Molly and Cody, and... We all spent time together, and it was just the most wonderful. And then around Christmas time, we saw her again, and I got a chance to give her a Christmas present. And we drove over to her house and saw her again, and she said, please, please, come with me one place. And she steered John towards 
a church that was her home church. And she said, please come with me. And I got out of the car with her. And we walked up the stairs to this church. And it was really a low, flat building. And it was almost like a a school building. And we walked through the doors. And then we walked through another set of doors. And there were Christmas services going on. And we got up to the doors and we opened them. And inside was a true gospel church. And everybody was singing. And there were people standing in the back. And one by one people would come over to her standing there with me, and she would introduce me as her daughter and how proud she was to be there with me and what a magical time it was. And it was even more magical for me because I was there with Lessie, and it was almost Christmas, and this was her church. We kept in touch after that. We saw each other a couple of times. And then it got to the point where she was doing a little bit less well and feeling a little bit less strong. And Leslie was a very proud person, and she only wanted to be seen as being strong. And she only wanted to be seen as being well. So we used to spend most of our time connected by the phone. And I didn't really see her much. Then on May 19th, In 2004, my sister Carolyn died. And I had to call Lessie and tell her, and it was heartbreaking to do it. A few months later, there was a memorial for my sister. And I had been asked if it was possible to bring Lessie to please call her, because Everybody knew how important she had been in the lives of my two nieces. And so on that day, we picked Leslie up, and she was dressed so beautifully and had her hair done just right and was walking so proudly out to the car. And we all drove over to where the memorial service was. And I helped Leslie in, and we all sat together. And it was a very, very moving experience for all of us, of course, because so many people were getting up and talking about my sister. And then afterwards, there was a meal made for all of us in a very fancy restaurant not far from where the memorial service had been. And Lessie was given a seat at the biggest table where all the most special and fancy and famous people were. And she was right amongst all of them. And she was surrounded by famous writers and reporters and celebrities. And everybody was fascinated to be able to speak to her. And everybody was asking her about her life. And everybody knew that she was magic. Everybody. Everybody was so incredibly focused on paying attention to every word she said and asking her wonderful questions. And it was magic for her. And she said she felt like a queen. She felt like she was with her real family. And she felt like it was the best night of her life. And in a way, it was maybe the best night of my life, too, because I got a chance to see her have that. And what would you rather have for people that you love than for them to have the feeling 
that they were on top of the world, and that's how she felt. We drove her home afterwards, and she repeated, it was the best night of her life. Not long after that, Lessie's health became a little bit more fragile, and she decided that the best thing for her to do was to move to a place where she could get help, here in Brooklyn, on Eastern Parkway, but it was like an assisted living space, so she would still have her own space there, her own room, and she would still be able to take care of herself, but she would have people around that would be able to look in on her and provide her with meals and cleaning help, and she would get what she deserved. And so she moved into that facility, and as soon as she did, called me and told me how lovely it was and gave me her telephone number, which is a private number, and we would talk. And then I didn't hear from her for a while, and I tried to call, and the number was disconnected. Now, I never heard from anybody specifically that she had passed or what had happened to her, but I felt that she was gone. But thinking about the time that we got a chance to spend with each other and all the magical things that we experienced together and the magic of that story, it brings to mind the magic of Christmas to me. And it's one of my favorite Christmas stories. And it makes me remember that the magic of Christmas is real. And it makes me remember each time that love is real. And that love reaches out to all of us at times where we least expect to be able to feel the depth of love that we can give and feel back in return from people that we really, really care for our true family, not necessarily our birth family, but the family of soul to soul, people that really share their love and their care for each other. So I'm dedicating this podcast to Lessie, and I hope that each one of you has a Christmas miracle, even half as beautiful as my Christmas miracle. And when you give your presents... And when you decorate your trees, and when you look out on a snowy evening and see the lights twinkling, think of Christmas magic. Think of the magic that has nothing to do with gifts, but that really has to do with what you hold in your heart for each other. Merry Christmas to all of you. I love you. Bye-bye.